Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Yeah, Kim Walker, that's who that was singing. I didn't know. I knew, I've heard her songs before, but that, uh, it was her at that time. Huh? Reading, yeah, Bill Johnson's church. The one that she's, what's the name of the gym? What's the name of the one that, uh, yeah, she used to sing for Jesus Culture, and uh, now she's, she's just on by herself doing it. Okay, I've given you a handout. If you don't have a handout, please raise your hand. Uh, I've given you a handout showing you what, uh, what I'm going to talk about. And then uh, we'll we'll discuss it a little more than than and some of it I'll read, but some of it I'll I'll just talk about. So it just depends on the uh, on the, on the bullet point. But Reese, he was born in 1879. Isn't that something? 1879, the sixth of a family of eleven. Uh, the little whitewashed cottage still stands. And I can't pronounce that. Landia in the mining village of Brenneman, South Wales, where uh, Thomas and Margaret Howells brought up three girls and eight boys. Isn't that something? In a little room, they, they probably slept on the side of the same room. <laughs> can't imagine. But let me tell you what a tin mine person would did. I uh, read a book by Roland Baker. That he, he sent a, he wrote he wrote a book or he read a book about tin tin mining. These kids in China, they would take them and work them. I'm, we're talking about eight ten years old, and they would put a chain around their waist and tie it to a log. And these little kids would crawl in the holes, and if it, if it caved in, the log caught it. Isn't that something? And that's what Reese Howe did, and his family was or in the tin mines, and uh, and uh, where he was at uh, from uh, he was at uh, what's the name of that place? Uh, Roland. He was in, involved in this mine, and, I, and he would make uh, if I got into coal mining, and coal mining is a little easier as far as I'm concerned, but. More physical because they got more coal than than the the, the tin miners did, but uh, both of them. And it was in Wales. Have you ever heard of the Wales revival? Well, this happened uh, while Reese Howe was there, and uh, he uh, took part in that. Okay, it was a hard struggle in the early years. His father had employment in the ironworks and afterwards in the coal mine. So his father actually went. His brothers did the tin mining, but he uh, he did the father. His father had another job. His income was 50 cents a day. That's why I handed you the the, uh, the money that they got paid. It, it's 2S, which is 2 shillings, and 3D. What's 3D on that sheet? Two half pence. Two half pence. I don't, this is English money. 
But back, back in the, his day, a pound was $4. Now it's about a dollar and a half. So the, uh, they have uh, inflated their, mint, their bunny. When, when they had a strike, there's, there, there, were, there would be nothing at all and no unemployment benefits. So they avoided strikes. And one of the things that uh, Reese Howe did was he prayed against a strike, and it did not happen. And I'll talk about that a little bit later because it was such a dear, it's such a bad thing. But Reese grew up kind of in a poor house. His house was poor, but they, they believed in Jesus, and they, and they worshiped God. They were good. They, I think they were a very good house. So, so the family was very spiritual and very religious, but he grew up uh, with them. But he wanted to make money. He was 20 years old. He wanted to go to America. And one thing I didn't put in here, he went to America, and he, and he went to a church called, he went to a church in Harlem. And uh, it was, I can't, I'll think of the name in just a minute. But he, he went to this church, and it was a black church. And he, uh, was, he went to that church, and he liked it. And, but he was, even the normal pleasures of the world had no attraction for Rizal. So he was a man that didn't, didn't think you had to be religious and didn't think anything else. Remember John the Baptist was full of the Holy Spirit when he was born? Well, Reese Howe was kind of like that. He, he just always, always he was uh, spiritual, and he didn't, he wasn't even, he only went to one professional fight, and it was in the town he was living, and he didn't like it. <laughs> so he, he stayed around church and always went to church, and uh, it wasn't attraction to him. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, what changed his mind. He uh, went to listen to a sermon on Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. This kind of set him back. He said, I'm, I'm doing something and what people are watching me. Great cloud of witnesses. We need, we need to be aware of that because there is a great cloud of witness watching your life. And I don't know if they're frowning or laughing or what, <laughs> but uh, they're up there. And uh, they're in heaven, and I, I do believe that uh, people can can see what you're doing on the earth. Uh, he contracted typhoid fever and while he was in America, and, and typhoid fever was almost always uh, a, a death a death wish. It's, it, typhoid fever, if you got that, you died. <laughs> he didn't think he was afraid of anything. He didn't think fear was part of the deal, but it was. And he said, Lord, if you'll do this, I will serve you forever. He made one of those vows. He listened to a sermon. Now, Maurice Rubens, I didn't talk about much. I didn't put much on, on the handout. But he, he was a man. He was a Jew, Maurice Rubens. His family was Jewish. And uh, you, know, I don't, you know the store Belk? It was like Belk, but it wasn't Belk. It was something else. It's, it's a department store, very up-class, very rich. Um, but he got saved. Now, he started believing in Jesus Christ. 
which uh, confounded his family. His dad and his mother thought he had dropped off the deep end. <laughs> and, he, and they tried to talk him into taking $20,000 and moving to Montana. This, they wanted him out of there, but he, uh, his dad had put him in the will for $20,000 payment. So he, they tried to do that, and he said, no, I don't want the money. His wife said, if you, if you don't renounce what your belief is, I'm going to leave you. She had a baby after she left him. This baby, uh, he never saw that baby for a year and a half. She came back to one of his, uh, one of his uh, church uh, conditions. He, had a, had, he was a preacher. In one of his sermons, she got saved. So she went up to him after service and said, look, he saw his kid for the first time, and he was a year and a half old. And he said to his wife said to him, now, if you'll just take money like all preachers do, I'll come back and, and we'll, we'll be husband and wife again. He said, no, God has told me to stay in Pittsburgh and to uh, preach the gospel. And, and, he's, and the rich young ruler had a real impact on his life and so he began to believe that uh, he, he he wanted to be just like the rich young ruler what Jesus told him to do was give his money away so he wasn't interested in money and uh, he told he told his family that and his wife says well gotta leave you again so three years he she was gone after three years she gave up <laughs> and she came back so his kid was, what, three, four and a half years old the first time he got to live with him. And that's quite a sacrifice. And uh, he, what Reese Howe said was, if, he, if I find a man who honors the, what Jesus said and does it because he didn't think Christians did much more than he did, <laughs> he said, if anybody does what Jesus says, I will follow you forever. So he found that in Reese Howe and the Maurice Rubens, I'm sorry. He found, Mar found it and he started saying, that guy believes what he's saying and he lives what he's saying. So that's uh, Maurice Rubens had a great impact on his life. And if he didn't do anything else, that would have been a, a great thing. It's a great salvation. Now, here's what the Welsh revival was like. It, he started, he returned to Wales after he, after he uh, heard Maurice Rubens. He said, I'm not committed at all. So he came back to Wales. And he came back to Wales in 1904, and that's when the revival started. Y'all remember that we are in the prophecy. It's in our prophecy that we, we will like be greater than the Wales revival. Isn't that something? And here's what happened. Reese turned to Wales. Services were like this. Every church was stirred to its depths. Strong men were in tears of penitence, and people were overpowered by the Spirit as on the day of Pentecost, were counted as drunken men. In the services, they were praying, singing, testifying. Once the first hymn was given out, the meeting conducted itself. There was no leader but the people felt an unseen control. Can you imagine a service like that? I have never been to, has anybody ever been to one like that? 
where the conduct is is not listed, they just people stand up and give a testimony. I've heard that uh, Azusa, who the Quakers, yeah, Quake. That's what uh, yeah the the Quakers are kind of like that. They there's there's they have a ability to stand up and preach. Anybody does. So they don't have a preacher. They just uh, stand up and give their testimony about what God has done. Somebody else stands up, gives their testimony. Somebody else. Sometimes there's 20 people standing. And that's a lot of people. But that's the Welsh revival. So that, that's what happened there. The spirit fell. And I, I've read other books about revival. And um, one uh, particular place, they felt they heard a train coming toward the church. That's what it sounded like. It was the Holy Spirit, and it, it shook that whole place. And they, they made water into wine. Uh, they, uh, they, walked on, they walked on top of water. This is amazing what God did in, through that. Uh, and it's in Timor, where uh, one of our guys came from Timor, but he was on the other side. <laughs> it's a little island in Indonesia where the Holy Spirit came and flooded that place. And, and in fact, the, the, the man who was in that revival is preaching in California today. His name is Mel Tari. You probably heard of him. Mel Tari, T-A-R-I. You can look him up on YouTube, <laughs> and you can get him. Okay, the Holy Spirit takes possession of him. Let me read this to you. He realized that the Holy Spirit had come to abide forever. He was never the same. Public speaking was a gift of God. God loosened his tongue and brought boldness into him. I've never, Doug, I've never seen anybody bolder than you. <laughs> he's, a, he's a little Doug. That's what he was. The Holy Spirit told him that prayer meaning, prayers meaning is answer. And he was also told that effectual praying must be guided prayer. Now, that's something uh, I was told just a while ago. Uh, yeah, right there. Rebecca, you told me about your son. That's guided prayer. When somebody tells you to pray for somebody else, you pray for it. And that's what he believed in. He said, uh, and that's what the Holy Spirit told him. One thing that uh, is unique in his life is that he was able to hear God speak clearly. And I'm not sure that, uh, that it wasn't, nobody else could do what, could hear what Reese did. So he would, he would hear what God was saying to him and go ahead and, uh, and repeat it. And he told him, he said, don't pray for anybody unless it's, 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 on, it's uh, directed. He also prayed, uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit, World War II, you've heard of Dunkirk? His whole college, and there's about 100 Christians, prayed, for, prayed against Dunkirk, and, and that they call it the, <laughs> the Churchill was the prime minister of England at that time, and he said uh, this, basically he complimented and said, if it weren't for you guys praying for us, we probably wouldn't have been, we'd have lost the war. Isn't that something? Not only did they pray, but they prayed for 16 and 18 hours a day. And uh, does anybody here do that? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> that is awesome, and it's an awesome thing. He just, just took on 
huh? This, this, church, this school, and we're going to get into how the schools function. Reese Howell and the school. He was the president of the college, and, uh, and he was doing intercession uh, for them. Okay, loving and outcast, it's called. The newfound praying targeted Will Battery. Will was an alcoholic. The Holy Spirit told Reese to pray him through to sanity and salvation and love him. He was dirty, unshaven. He wore no socks and never tied his shoelaces. Nice guy. The revival has had been in the district, and hundreds were converted, but no one had reached Will. In his free hours, Reese made this man his friend and spent all Sundays with him. He was saved in three years. So God told him to, to take on Reese. Now, we have had people come here that they were just about as dirty as <laughs> this explanation. Uh, we have to change our attitude about those people. Uh, it's, it's, I think they've given up all hope. I used to uh, have a lot more to do in the uh, halfway houses. I, I, I ran a halfway house for a couple, about four years. And uh, it, these people just give up. They just cannot stop it. They can't stop. So anyway, Reese Howe was, was told by God to take an outcast who lived, he lived in the 10 mil office space. It was real dirty, and, but it was warm. So he lived in there, but he never took a bath. And he was, he was so bad that when, when Reese finally, after a year, Reese got a place for him to stay in a hotel. Reese paid for it. They complained because the sheets were dirty. He would go to sleep in his boots or shoes and not the shoes that weren't tied. He would go to sleep in them, and uh, it was filthy. So Reese had to pay. God told Reese to pay for it, and and he wasn't rich by any stretch of the imagination, but God, God told him to make him and go go with him until he was saved. Three years of this, every Sunday, he would go over to the tin mill and spend time with this man. He'd go, they'd go walking in the woods. They just did all things men do. And, uh, and that's what he did. And uh, he was a, a great man for doing that. So we have to be a little bit more concerned about people who come here and they don't look like people we'd like. And I'm guilty too. We have to be kind to people. Usually they sit on the back row, leave, leave before anybody talks to them. So just be, be conscious of, of who's here and uh, what they're doing. Now, Jim Stakes, in need of money and was one of the worst drunkards in the area, Reese paid for two years' rent out of his own account, and the Holy Spirit told him that the money was not his. This is, he went through a, the Holy Spirit said, hey, you got a dollar? That's mine. Now, I'm going to show you why. I'll talk to you later on about, in the book, it talks about what he did later on. He actually bought three, what I call palaces. They were huge with no money. And uh, I've, this book has influenced me to a point that I still talk about 
some of the things that, that he did. And he just... Uh, That's right. He had to, and God would work uh, on the money, because Reese didn't have any money. One time he, I'll just tell you this story about money. We're since we're on that topic. One time he was uh, taking a train to somewhere, London. It was London. He was going to London on a train, and he didn't have any money. So he had a couple pence, I guess it was penny. And so he's sitting there waiting on the train, and, and he had enough to get about 10 miles to another city. So God told him, take the train. So he went 10 miles. And then he sat down, and another, another line formed of people buying tickets to go to London. And it got down to two people. And Reese said, uh, Lord, what do I do now? He said, what would you do if you had the money? He said, I'd get in that line. He said, get in that line. So he got in the line, and somebody else came, and this guy turns around, and he said, and he hands him uh, five pence, he calls I, I don't know this, this money yet. Hands him the money and says, look, i got to go back and, and work on my house. I, I, I can't go to London right now. So he gave him the, gave him the money, bought the ticket, and went to London. And he gets to London and doesn't have any, doesn't have any money. <laughs> That's the way he lived. He lived constantly depending upon God. And he bought these castles when he had no money. He built this college when he had no money. And I tell this story to everybody. He hired, and I'll, t I'll get to this later on, he hired some people, the carpenters, to build his dormitory. But he didn't have any money. So he said, God, you want a dormitory? We're starting one. On Saturday, when their payday was Saturday, they never had the money on Friday. But they never missed a payment on Saturday. I don't even, I cannot imagine living like that. But, and we can do this, we can do it. <laughs> Just uh, have faith that God's going to supply your every need. And it says that in the Bible. He will supply us and supply our every need. Quantum faith. Yeah, that's, he's way above me there. <laughs> so. Okay, his Uncle Dick. I'm going to read this to you because Uncle Dick was quite a, quite a character. He rejoiced in Reese's conversion, and it was to him that Reese continued to look up after the most valued spiritual guide, as Reese told him of the blessings and price, a complete surrender of the will with no reserve, his uncle recognized it as the word of the Lord and truth of the scripture. When Reese returned from Landrin, not all believers by any means could see the need for total surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's, uh, that's something you learn when you, my dad was a minister, and when you uh, go to a church, sometimes the church people don't like what you're doing. 
So don't be one of those. <laughs> be positive, and, and even when, when somebody doesn't agree with you, be positive. God gave them one like, gave uh, one of the, the like minds and hearts of his uncle. Of all the believers in the district, it might have been thought that Uncle Dick had least need of full surrender. For 26 years, he had been an invalid, not able to walk more than a few yards, nor to read to himself more than a few minutes at a time. He had accepted this condition as the will of God. And I've, I've talked to him about that. I've talked to people who believe that and spent hours daily in prayer or in having the Bible read to him by members of the family. Uh, he was 25 years an invalid, and he got healed. Reese was going over to visit him, and uh, he said, hey, I'm going to heal Uncle Dick in one month. Now, everybody says, why not just heal him now? Why are you waiting a month? But he did. He waited a month, and everybody was kind of, everybody knew about it, and, the, and, and Reese told everybody, said, hey, God's going to heal my uncle. He was an invalid. Now, if you know what an invalid is, they don't, they're not able to walk or anything. They had ter terrific uh, problems, and uh, he was healed the very morning that God said he would be. Isn't that something? He gave him the date and, and uh, said he will be healed that day. He was. Now, that doesn't always happen that way, and we're going to talk about some of that, too. All right, there was, a, there was a village without a single Christian. Can you imagine? This was in the Wales Revival, and a village without a single Christian in it. At time of the revival, people had started praying meetings in the, in the village, but they soon fell through. So one Sunday morning, Mr. Hal. It says, Mr. Howells with his friend Jerry, Johnny Lewis and Miss Elizabeth Hannah, Hannah Jones. She was his wife later on. Uh, and the other young Christian workers who had joined him, a sister, visited the village. Now, what he did, to get, God told him all this. God told him how to reach these people. There was a bunch of drunk drunkards. Uh, they were very poor. Uh, they called it the devil's hellhole. <laughs> That's what they called the city. <laughs> it was a terrible place to go, but God told him how to reach these. It says, God gave Reese a chance to settle a court case and give him money to pay the case. It says, mere words could never reach him, but when he saw the love of God like that, he was touched on a vital spot and broke down. He confessed that he had been to blame and started to come to the meetings. God told Reese to pay this man's rent and had backup, and, and also to pay the court cost for, for him. He was one of the ringleaders in the city, and um, nobody else would have done that. But Reese did it. He didn't have any money, but he gave that money that he had to this man and paid paid his and he got he got it fixed so that the guy didn't go didn't have to go to jail, so the people outside of the church are saying, "Hey, those guys really believe this stuff." <laughs> you ever been around people that are unbelievers? They don't want to hear what you got to say. Sometimes you they just look at you, yeah, right, yeah, 
<laughs> I've had people say things like that to me. But, uh, but when you pay their bill, you get into their, into their time. And we have to trust in the Lord. If we don't have the money, we say, Lord, I don't have money to give them money. And you just ask it for it. Ask him for it and he'll give it to you. It wasn't long before over a dozen were converted and regu regular meetings started, including a Sunday school. Isn't that something? Now, the tramps, I can remember, I'm in, I'm in my 70s. I'm not going to tell how old I am. But uh, I can remember when they called them tramps. Does anybody else remember that? <laughs> okay. So maybe it's, uh, that's, what, that's what we called people. They um, lived in the woods. It said laid, laid, uh, God laid it on him, he, uh, the burden of the tramps, the many men who were to be found in the district wandering homeless and jobless from place to place. You know, we got, we got places like that here in Wilmington. In this, in, I let a guy off in the woods. When I was doing my halfway house, he said, just pull right here and I'll walk in the woods. I said, what in the world are you doing? He said, I got a tent there. And so they have tent cities in the woods, and there's some uh, over by, what's that? It's a hamburger place on Oleander. What's a, there's a, right behind there, they have tent cities there. It, yeah, we, some of the, sometimes they would, in our halfway house, a lot of times they would mess up, start drinking again. They would go the tent. Route because they would be they would be kicked out and they would go get a tent and they lived in those tents. Well, God laid the burden on him and He said, "There are many men who were." Let me read that. We've already read that. That in the district, wandering homeless and jobless from place to place, he began to find clothes for many men, and God paid him down to the penny. It was the worst test in my life," said Reese seeing the possibility of my father's home being broken up. But my father was given great wisdom. And he, he said to the others, if I stop the tramp, are you willing for me to stop your friends from coming over? So he, um, these, the, he, what a little bit between the lines, what they would do is these guys that had no money, no job, would come sit in the father's chair. And didn't even stand up when he walked in the room. I guess they all stood up when he walked in. <laughs> that, that's what he had to pay. So he said, okay. And pretty soon they had people all over the place in their house who uh, they called them tramps. People had no, no job because God told him to. And that's what he did. Okay, one time, Reese, God's foreknowledge, he was, he was walking toward, a, he always walked everywhere. He walked two miles to church, two miles back home. He was always walking. But uh, he was walking to church one night, and he passed the house, and he didn't, didn't know the people, but he, he heard God say, go in that house. Knock on the door. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't know that person, so I'm going to go on. So Reese walked about 100 yards, and, got, and he kept hearing, go to that house. So he went to the house, and uh, she said, in bed, she said, 
Reese, I've been praying for you to come all day. And uh, God sent Reese uh, to her, and he had to pray for her because she had the fear of death. Now, she was in church all the time, but she was afraid to die. She wasn't sure she was going to heaven. Now, there are people like that. You've got to be sensitive to them. They, this, this person did not know they were going to heaven. So they were afraid to die. And that's where she was. And she accepted Jesus Christ that night. So it was, a, it was an awesome time, her meeting. For the next 18 months, he never spent a penny except on the necessities. And it was through that period that he had all sense of money taken from him. Now, that's amazing. He, uh, I've told you, I think, already that he was, he was giving God his money. Now, how many people in their 20s are doing that today? God, I'll do anything you want me to. Just give me the money. Have you ever heard that? I've heard people say that. I don't have money to do that. Uh, so he did some things that are just amazing. I didn't um, didn't know uh, what he was doing. But he felt like he should only spend money on what he had and what he what he was uh, what he was doing. Okay, the tubercular woman. She does, she's not even named because because of privacy, she had TB. Now, back in the day, TB was a deadly disease. Now, on your first grade, you probably had a, a shot. I had one. <laughs> so, and uh, that was a t- vaccination against tuberculosis. But it used to kill people. So this woman, every person in the village knew that Reese was praying, expecting the woman to be healed. He offered the Holy Spirit, I put it, HS, to take him instead of the woman. So Reese said, take me. I'm praying for this woman, but she's going to die. Take my life and leave her living. So he gave his life for her. But down in the middle, it says, A martyr is one who has voluntarily shortened his life down here for the Savior's sake, not merely one who dies in the course of of duty, and the Lord showed me that I was to be among that number. Then after three months, the Lord called her home. She died, even though Reese claimed that she would be free, and she would not die. He would die. She died instead. Now, how many of you have prayed for people who died? I have too. <laughs> I used to have a joke, and I don't, I don't do this, but I don't do it anymore especially not after bishops bishops talk <laughs> but i said i said things like oh everybody i pray for dies <laughs> that's back in the old days back back 20 years ago but i i didn't uh, you know I, I was discouraged and that's not a good thing to say <laughs> and uh, so this this woman died and it it, 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 it his confidence was ruined because the woman he had prayed for, and everybody knew it, died. And uh, so he was, he talked to God and says, God, what happened? <laughs> why, why was she taken? 
Well, she, here's what she did. She was sick, and the doctor said she's living on prayer, uh, like, uh, just like one of our number here. And, uh, people are praying, and, and, and they're living on prayer. And she's, she, was prayed, she was prayed for every day by lots of people. And she stopped one day, and she said, I want to shake all of your hands. I'm going to, I'm going to meet the master. So she, she did that. She went to sleep, went, and she died right there. Reese Howe, who was at work at the time, didn't even know this. So he went back to uh, her house and was told that she died. He was devastated by that. And uh, that, was, that was a big deal in his life. Okay, we are intercessors. All of us are intercessors. We pray every uh, Wednesday morning. We pray from 9 o'clock to 10.30, right? And uh, we have a group of intercessors. What does that mean? What's it mean to be an intercessor? Okay. You're praying for or on behalf of somebody else. Has anybody ever been woken up in the night with a prayer? What happened? Does he tell you all the time who it is? Sometimes you're praying for people in India, right? I was listening to a preacher one time, and he was talking about intercession, and he said, God got me awake last night, and I was praying for somebody in India. Sometimes he'll give you a name. Sometimes he won't. That's the duty of the intercessor. Now, one thing that, uh, that we need to do is that when you're praying for somebody who's in town or somebody you know, and they're poor and they live in a tent, don't go in there in your Cadillac and, and say, I'm, I'm here to pray for you. One thing that Reese had to do was he had to take on, like when he was praying for the tramps, he took on their... There, he he wore lousy clothes, and he and he looked like one of them. His, of course, his mother didn't like that. She didn't like. Uh, she was a a good mother, but she didn't like my, her son doing that. No, he wasn't married. But his mother, his mother was. Uh, was was really insistent when he would go to fast. Uh, she would she would no, nah, you got to eat. <laughs> so mother took over. When you got eleven kids, uh, she was a great mother. <laughs> so, so she she did she did that. But I've I've never met a guy like Reese Hell. He's uh, some of the most. Uh, I mean, he didn't. He wasn't afraid to do anything God asked him to do. Now, if you hear from God, if you don't hear from God, you need to you need to do it. You need to start hearing from Him. Uh, I've <clears throat> what I've learned from my prayers are when I'm when I have a thought that's not mine, it's it's from God. Sometimes that's how I hear from God. Does anybody else have anything any other way to? Hear from God. How do you hear from? 
There we go. I'd like to tell a story about that because, can you hear me? Okay. Um, I was born again and whatever, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Lord began to speak to me clearly. And there was a woman that had come to the, well, this is a, a miracle when I um, went to work for a hospital. And they didn't take part-time workers, and I had four children. And, uh, but I needed the job at that point. So I went to the hospital. They said, well, we don't take part-time workers, but we'll take an application. So I'll try to make it short. And um, before I got home that night, the phone was ringing when I walked in. And they said, the comptroller said, if you will do us a favor and work for us full-time for three weeks, I will personally make a part-time job for you. So that, of course, was the beginning of that. But when I worked the three t weeks with full-time was a new um, department where there was a German war bride who had just come from America, to America. And I tried to witness to her when I was working those three weeks. And she said, I respect you, but she said, we love the Messiah, and he's our God. And he, she said, I'll respect you, but don't try to witness to me. Well, to make a story short, after a number of years, I got my part-time job. I heard that she had left the hospital and went to work somewhere else. She was an RN, and uh, she had come down with fourth-grade cancer. And the Lord spoke to me clearly. He said, I want you to see honey. I said, I don't know where she lives. <laughs> and this voice kept coming, coming, coming. I want you to see honey. So I found out where she lived. We had all the records anyway in the, in the personnel office. And I went to try to find her. And I ran the street number, ended with a big electric plant, and I couldn't get through and I couldn't find the house. So I said, God, I don't know, I've heard you clearly. I called the daughter, and the daughter said, she's in a coma. You won't, won't be able to see her. So the, God persisted in saying this. And I called her son then, and she, he said, she's in a coma, and she will not know you. So I said, I'm coming for myself more than, than her. So I found out where the house was, and all her neighbors were drinking, and they were, had her in a front porch in hospice ready to go. She was in a coma. And I said I had to see her. So they let me in, and they all had their glasses of booze and everything. And it was amazing. And they followed me into her room, and I sat down next to her. And I said, honey, this is Marion. She opened her eyes, and she said, well, you finally came. <laughs> and I almost fell off the chair. They grabbed their drinks and ran out. That was the one time I heard like that. And another time I was working in personnel and I was in a trailer like we used to have here. And we had a new director. And he came in and I had a prayer ministry at, at, the, church, at the hospital. They allowed me to have a closed circuit television. And I was witnessing to this new director. And he said, I respect you. Someday we'll sit down and talk, but I don't want to talk. And I'm sorry to take so much time. I was filing in my job, and nobody was in the trailer with us. 
And the voice of the Lord said, feed my sheep. And I said, wait a minute. Three times he said it clearly. And I said, but there's nobody here but the director and myself. And he said, feed my sheep. So I went in and I knocked on his door. And I said, you said one day we'll sit down and talk about this. And he said, well, why not now? So I went in and we sat down. I told him about Jesus and, and everything. And um, he said, well, thank you very much. I had looked up a gospel church that was in his area. And I said, in case you want to hear more of this, this is a good gospel church you could go to. And he said, thank you. That was it. I went out. That was Friday night. Monday morning I went in. They said, did you hear what happened to the director? He was fired Friday night. And that was when God told me, listen to what the Lord tells you. I had given him the witness, and that was listening to the word. <laughs> Does anybody else, how do you hear from God? Just he still speaks. Does he talk to your subconscious? If you know your mother's voice. Okay. <laughs> How's it happened to you? What'd you say? <laughs> but what's it sound like to you? How's the Holy Spirit tell you? As I study myself approved, I hear from him. If I don't study myself approved, I don't hear from him. When, quiet and when it's quiet in the early morning hours, and I'm focused one-on-one -on -one intimately with God, he speaks to me. I know what to do as a husband, as a man, and that's how he speaks to me. I know sometimes for me, I'll hear a thought in my head like Terry, and I know it's God. You know, I mean, thoughts come all the time, but there's times where a thought will come in and I'll know it's God. And it's usually for me to do something or pray about something. Or, um, and then other times, though, like I'll just be talking with somebody and words will come out of my mouth that I hadn't really thought about beforehand. And they'll be like, you know, wow, that was just like full of wisdom or whatever they'll say. And, and I realized that God spoke to me, and I was just the vessel. I didn't even know. Um, yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I will not hold the mic that close. Sorry, I probably scared you all. Um, I have never heard God's voice audibly, if I'm being 100% honest, but it's actually funny that you asked this question because I'm in the middle of a devotional um, Bible study, and yesterday, no, Monday, um, that was actually what my devotion was on, was different ways that you can hear the Holy Spirit, and um, I was reading, and like, I literally felt like the words on the page came alive to me because it was exactly what I experience when I hear the Holy Spirit. Um, but for me, it's more of like an imprint on my heart. Like I get, um, I just feel the need to like do something or um, like Pastor Terry was saying, like the thought that I know wasn't my thought <laughs> would show up and it'd be like, well, like, I wouldn't do this on a regular basis, or I wouldn't think this or say this on a regular basis. Um, but 
more of like a gesture type thing of feeling that pulling on your heart. Yeah, I think sometimes if, if you don't think you hear from God, which there's people out here that don't think they hear from God, try it. <laughs> sometimes you just need to try it. And, and then, hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> and, then, and then you realize it's not you. So if you, if you uh, say something, that's the way I get words for people. Sometimes we'll stand up front here, at Jan and I, and, and pray for people after the service. And she'll pray for the ladies, and we pray. And then I get this thought. And so I repeat it. God said this. I think God said this. So just try it. Sometimes you have to experiment uh, with intercession. And I'm not saying each of us have to pray 17 hours a day. <laughs> That's Reese Howe. He did that. Uh, and uh, he felt like uh, they didn't want to speak German. <laughs> so they prayed against uh, some of the things that happened. We'll get into that in uh, third, the third session. I kind of have a question about that. It's an intercession. Like, I don't know, Terry and I have this list of, you know, it's all our children, of course, which I don't need a list. I just go through them. But And people that we want to pray for. But I'm just wondering how other people do their intercession. Um, does it just come to you spontaneously? I mean, there's there's people I know in the church that pray for hours for others. And so I just kind of wondered how other people do their intercession or prayer time for other people? When I, when I pray, I pray for my sisters and brothers here at the church. And that's everyone. I pray for the world and even with what's going on. I just pray for everyone, even those who have offended me in the past, I've forgiven them. But I pray and in spite of whatever's going on, I shake my head and I, you know, I, in disgust many times. But then I go back to the word and then I get peace. My first inkling, my first inclement is the natural. But when I get back in intimacy with Almighty God, Jesus the Christ, then I get calmer, and then I begin to intercede. I intercede for myself. I pray for me, and I pray for others. If you cast your prayer, if you intercede for all, and you pray for yourself, you cast your bread out. You cast your prayers out on, on the earth. Even those who are doing the most abominable things in parts of the world. I don't like it, but I pray for them anyway. That's a hard thing to do. It's very hard to pray for somebody. How many of you have a list that you use a list to pray? I'm without a list. Sorry. You do or don't? And I don't have a lisp either. I speak very clearly. One of the strange things that God had me do was he had me pray for Osama bin Laden. Whew. That was a tough prayer. Yeah, I bet. So they had, uh, they had every day I had a high security safe, and on that high security safe was a picture of the FBI's most wanted person was Osama bin Laden. 
And so I had to come into my office every day and work with that safe. So I was forced to see his face, and I was forced <laughs> to pray for him. And I really had a hard time with it, with what God was putting on my heart to pray for somebody like that. And I was like, Lord, I'm just having such a hard time. And so God, God allowed me to pray but one prayer, which is save him or take him out. And that's an amazing thing about God is he will always answer prayer for us. Um, so I wanted to say about, you know, intercession. To me, intercession is a discipline. It's a discipline. So some of you people work out, you know, you, you go to the gym and you work out. Some of you people are real good at cooking. Some of you guys can talk for hours on the phone. Trust me, I've been on the phone with you. You could talk for hours. <laughs> so you've had a discipline. Some of you guys can quote scripture amazingly. You know, if I were to sit here and look at Paul for a moment and say, Paul, build me a boat, Paul could build me a boat. You know, if I asked somebody to dance, if I asked somebody to flag. So you got to ask yourself, if I asked somebody who was an EMT, where do you put the needle when my heart stops? So there's a discipline out there. All of us have that discipline. So in intercession, you have to have discipline. And that thing about Osama bin Laden was just a discipline. God was saying, I want you to do this every time. And the object, I think, wasn't so much Osama bin Laden. It was to assign a place and a time to do it. You know, um, I have a really good friend of mine uh, named Brian Jones. I hadn't seen him for a long time. And he started avoiding my phone calls. So I said, Brian, what's going on? And he, he finally admitted, yeah, I'm going to avoid your phone calls. I said, so, so what do you think of that? And he says, I don't think really good about it. He said, those things that I love, I make time for. So that's a way of us checking ourselves in the Holy Spirit. We're in this place and we're learning tonight about a person who was a great intercessor. But you should check yourself. First, at the door, find out are you getting ready to wreck yourself? You know, you're looking around. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I start at 7:02 in the morning, and Jesus, I love you. And by 7:10, I'm done. And boy, I'm good for the day. You know. So sorry. I just thought I'd insert that for the three people in this building who do that. The rest of you I know are 16-hour folks. Thank, Thank you, guys. God bless. All right. How many of you are wanting to say how you do it? Okay. Well, I'm going to take you back, you know, last year with the election. And I was home in bed a lot anyway. Um, the Lord gave me a season of interceding. And right now it's, I'm not in it. Not that one. But I was waking up between three and four every night. And if, you wake, if you're waking up routinely at the same time, it behooves you to ask the Lord why. <laughs> and, um, and if you want to go back to sleep, then just start speaking in tongues because the enemy really doesn't like that. And if he's the one that's woken you up, he'll let you go right back to sleep. But if it's <laughs> the Lord, he'll let you stay up. So um, I did that for months and months and months. Um, and, and, and I was just, you know, between four and five, that was my time to intercede. And so to get the most out of it, <laughs> to be honest, to make it go more quickly, um, because when I was done, I was allowed to go back to sleep. So I made a list of 
every single person in the president's family, all the children, um, the attorneys that were helping him, um, I made a list and I would, I would go down through that and I would, I would pray for all the Supreme Court members and I would, you know, get the members of, of Congress that I was kind of like Jim and Osama bin Laden that I did not want to pray for, but I had them and I had them on a piece of paper so I wouldn't miss anybody. But that was just a season that I went through and thankfully it's, it's passed. Yeah. Um, but uh, it lasted for, you know, over six months. And it was very tiring. And I could go back to sleep around 6, and I had to be up at like 6.30, so I'd get like a half an hour and then, and then go again. But he'll give you a season of that when he needs it. And it may have just been for me the discipline that Jim got. Um, but I felt like when it was ending that the pressure to pray and intercede like that had ended. Um, that it was, and I think all of us, a lot of us were, were doing that at that time. Um, all over the world, people were doing that. Um, but, you know, like if you're riding down the road and your name comes to my mind, then I know I'm supposed to pray for you because it wouldn't, the Lord wouldn't put your name on my mind or my heart if I wasn't supposed to just right then and there pray for you. And so that's, that's the kind of interceding. You know, we do it in a formal way um, at certain times, but then... You just do it all throughout the day. When someone comes to your heart, you intercede for them. I was just going to say, too, that a lot of times if just someone's random comes to, name comes to my heart, I'll also try to call them and just kind of do a check on them, you know, see how things are going. And, and more times than not, you know, they're needing a friend. I'll tell you this. The morning I got hurt, um, it was about 7.30. Um, Teresa was supposed to come by quarter to eight. And um, when she got there, she started to pray for me. And um, I know that's why my injuries weren't any worse. My knees weren't injured, anything like that. But by, they got me in the car and took me to the hospital. And as we're leaving the hospital, the phone rings and um, the ministry director from First Fruit, he's in Mexico. Y'all are all in South America. But he's in Mexico, and he calls, and he said, are you all right? I said, well, I'm just leaving the hospital, but yeah, I'm all right. He said, did something happen? He said, I heard something happen. And so I'm calling. So that's an example of what you're talking yeah, about. That's right. You know, in his heart, he knew that I'd been hurt all that great distance away, and he called to check on me. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I'll come back to you. When you get in that habit, it comes naturally. It's like Jim said, it's discipline. It, if you make it a part of your life every day, so I, I agree with that. Right here. To answer your question, I make a list. Because if not, I have the moments where I feel like God put somebody on my heart or, you know, a random person will come to my mind. Um, but I feel like for me, I'm very, and y'all forgive me because God is totally bringing me out of this season but I'm very structured and I'm a very, I'm a list person. 
And so um, God is trying to deal with me on that because <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, there's some things happening that the way that it's happening, I would, mm-mm. <laughs> that's when you know it is God because it ain't me. But anyways, but to go back to what Pastor Terry was saying, um, like I was saying earlier, I've never heard God's voice audibly, but I really felt like I was supposed to just read these five questions real quick. Um, so if you're somebody in this room, which I believe y'all are probably a heck of a lot more seasoned than I am. So, but anyways, this list, because I'm a list person has really helped me, but it says, um, there's five key questions to help me determine if what I'm hearing is from God or not. Does what I'm hearing line up with scripture? Is it consistent with God's character? Is it being confirmed through messages I'm hearing at church or studying in my quiet times? Is it beyond me and would it please God? And so there's been moments here lately where things have been happening that I'm like, that's left field. So I run through that quick five question filter to filter out if I believe that it's God talking to me or if it's, you know, yeah. And so I run through those five questions and believe it or not, um, every time that I've ran through those questions, um, my answers to all of those have been yes. And so that's just the list and the structure that I use to for sure know that I'm hearing God's voice. Yeah, sometimes uh, you get discouraged. Has anybody been discouraged? And I was discouraged when we had our list. So I said, you know, it's had a, it sounds kind of rote. We we uh, we pray for all our family, and and uh, does anybody? Have, uh, and we have, weren't seeing results, right? You know, after <laughs> after a while. So that's why we, we finally just kind of put our list aside. But then God will kind of prompt me to pick it back up. Now, I still like for my children and stuff every day. I pray for them every day, um, even though we don't always see the results we want to see. But, yeah, it's, you know, when you've got a list and then you're not seeing results, it's easy to just say, well, this isn't working. It's not doing anything, yeah. That's when you listen to Bishop. I think what... I was thinking what Megan said is we're told to test the spirit and I think that's a good way to test the spirit. It works for you until you get to know his voice and then you'll be more free to do. But it's a good good thing because well, it's funny because like, I felt like I was hearing God's voice and I felt like I, like what I was experiencing was totally God, but then there would be these doubts that I would be like, okay, like, is this really God or is it like, I don't want to mess this thing up. Yeah. And so like, I've had these experiences before, but, um, something specifically that has occurred is, um, I'm actually leaving to go to Tampa May 6th through May 8th with Awake in the Dawn. And, um, I was really, that came from left field for me. I do not like traveling. I like a schedule. I like structure. Traveling is not my thing. Um, But God's like, in this season, it is going to be your thing. Like, this is what you're going to be walking in. And so I had been praying and just praying that it was really God that was putting this on my heart to do. And then 
over the course of two days, I had this random car, which I would have normally freaked out about, cut me off in traffic, and they had a Florida license plate. And then there was another instant where I had um, recently received a piece of mail um, that was a, don't judge me, a new credit card. And (laughs) the day that we got back from Awaken the Dawn Movement 2021, it was on my bed. It had come in the mail while I was gone, and it was from Tampa, Florida. And so that's when I was like, okay, yeah, I'm hearing God. This is so not what I would choose to do. (laughs) But anyways, we're just going to go for it. So, like, there's different ways. Like, that was what I was saying. Like, he imprints something on my heart. Or he, there's signs and different things that I experience. Yeah, I think uh, we need to know how people hear from God. Because intercession is, is, is a real important thing. Go ahead. Yeah, so I think it's a relationship with God. For every person, it's different. And I know, like, with me, I have, like, all different kinds of ways that he talks to me. So a lot of times I just listen and what he says, and then I agree with what he's telling me, and I speak it out into the atmosphere. And I also have lists that I do, but also wake up with a certain prayer that he says. But I had this one like really cool unique thing that happened just kind of recently where he was like he was speaking through me so it wasn't me talking but he was saying like he was directing the angels to go to different places and he was saying like addresses and stuff and all this like like I was almost like standing there listening to myself saying all this incredible stuff and I was like wow I want to do that more because I'm praying for to be able to prophetically like know where human trafficking places are to that kind of thing. But I think the possibilities and the ways that he can speak to you are endless. Yeah, yeah I think it's a gift. It's uh, some people have a gift of uh, inter- intercession. Um, who's read that uh, book by Benny Johnson? Uh, what's the name of that? Huh? The happy intercessor. Yeah, she's, I've read that book. It is an awesome book. Uh, she says, well, I didn't want to be an intercessor because they were always depressed. <laughs> Have yeah, you ever I'm heard in that? in the middle of the night. I'm glad you <laughs> said that about because th- I was getting woken up at 3 o'clock, too, for about six months, and I'm not now. So it's interesting. But I think another way is the quiet You know, just to take, I mean, I was sitting outside yesterday. I had the opportunity just to be in my backyard and just to really enjoy the Lord. Just sitting out there and the beauty of the wind and the creation. And when you do that, you, I mean, you hear. (laughs) I don't know how to explain that. But, yeah, Sometimes we're so busy talking and praying for everybody and everything that, you know, we also need to take time for the other part, just to let him speak through stillness and quietness and Mm -hmm. union with him. I wanted to tell you all a story. Um, Last fall, 
we were all going to Washington for a rally, not the one that everyone got in trouble for, um, and then we were going to VOA. Right now they're at VOP and we were going to VOA. And um, like a week before, I was on the Abner call, we're intercessors, and we were six nights a week then, and I said, I'm, I'm, we're going to Washington. And somebody said, were you going to the White House? And I said, no. And I you know, went to bed that night, and I woke up at 3, and I'm like, go to the White House. Because, you know, we, I really had the, I had this strong impression that I needed to put my feet in the grass on the grounds of the White House and pray and intercede. So I rolled over, and I thought, Laura Trump. I was like, hmm. Turned on the light, got my phone, checked. Her phone number was still in my phone because she grew up about 11 houses away from me. So I had her phone number and her email. And so I was like, Lord? So I email her. And the next morning, two hours later, I have an email back. And I said, listen, my church is coming to Washington and I would really like to get on the grounds of the White House and intercede. I've been an interceder, inter, as you know, I've been an inter, intercessor for your family for a long time. And, um, you know, I just feel strongly that this is something I need to do. And so I get this message back. How many of the, you will, how many of you will there be in your party? And I'm like, ah, we're going to Washington. And it was so cool. So um, the people who were already going to uh, VOA, um, I let them all know. And then the Garrises with the three children, I said, Chrissy, I know you were on the fence about going, but you need to go early because you can take the kids to the White House, you know? And she was so funny because she said, well, would they have school? And I said, Christy, White House, Christy. <laughs> so, so anyway, we go to the White House. And all the stories that happened there are really cool, what happened. So we weren't just confined to the grounds. And we didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen when we got there. We had no idea. It says very clearly, no White House tours, you know, all that. So, but the but, but part I was thinking about today in, in, in an in intercessory prayer was, we, they, they, when we got there, something had changed. What we had been planned to do wasn't going to happen. Katie was hard on, we need to see the president. I, I felt the same way. And, um, but you could tell something wasn't right and it wasn't going to happen. So they're going to show us around. And I, my goal was to get into the White House press room because I felt like we could knock some junk out of there really quick if they just let us in there. We could straighten some things out real quick. And um, so we're going through, and we go into the state dining room. Now, you will remember in the last week, the state dining room was where Mr. Biden hosted the Japanese premiere, okay? State dining room, they're sitting around that table. So we go into the dining room, and every place we went, we'd been praying. But we get into the state dining room, and we're all like agog. And I feel very strongly. I go, Pastor Tom, I think we're supposed to pray and intercede in here. And he said, well, take it. And so it went something like this. Um, every person who comes into this room, whether they be a king or a queen or a prince or a princess or an ambassador or whatever world leader they are, they will bow their knee to Jesus Christ, Lord of lords and king of kings. That's how our intercession went, right? We thought Trump was going to stay in the White House. We had no idea. 
a couple stops later, we are in the grand staircase. Um, and Sarah had had a very strong impression the night before. She was supposed to sing somewhere in the White House. And she had prepared to sing the ironic blessing. So we're in that fabulous room that you see with the checkered floor and the staircase goes up to the residence. And Katie's like, can we see the president? Can we see the president? And Sarah's like, can we play that piano over there? I'm like, Sarah, that's a piano forte. It's like 200 years old. Shh, Sarah. Because some of us had been sitting on the 200-year-old chairs. And I'm like, y'all, these are 200-year-old chairs. Get off of them. And um, so she said to the lady that's guarding us, because they, they have an intern between us and the stairwell so we don't bolt up the stairway to see the president. And, um, and unbeknownst to us, that was the Monday after the, the Rose Garden event where he got COVID. So he's upstairs, and we don't know it, and he's sick. So we're downstairs, immediately downstairs from him, because she tells us that in a minute. So Sarah says, well, we really wanted to sing. She said, well, then you can sing a cappella. So Sarah leads us, and we have a small halfway through recording of it. Sarah leads us in singing the ironic blessing, and she says, now sing softly because the president's in the room directly above you. So we don't sing softly. And when, when, when the words are going along, we convert it to we're blessing the president and his children's children's and his children's generations, and it goes like this in ways. I almost passed out. It was that cool. Um, so think about now. There are people occupying the White House that we were not interceding for the day we were there, but they're there. And the Prime Minister of Japan was just in the room where we declared that everyone who came into that room would bow their knee to Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So my point in that is, if I had had a clue that morning how important our visit to the White House was, I might have been more serious, even though I was extremely serious, but the ramifications of it are far outseed anything I could have dreamed of, any of us. I mean, we, had our, we, we did some touristy things. They took our pictures. They gave us presents. It was really, really cool. But we did something that I will never forget. I found the picture of the dining room with the table today. Yeah, we just kept sending them out. Um, Richard and them had a team that were interceding for us, and we could feel that. So the impression that we needed to pray that prayer in the dining room yes. is why we did that. The impression that just one person said, you going to the White House? And I woke up and the Lord said, Laura, Trump. I'm like, hmm, okay. I have her number. So that's all led up to that. And who knows the ramifications for the rest of life that, that happened um, in what we did there in the White House. Thank you. That, uh, I never heard that story. Something I have done, it, it helps me out, is Reese Howe always walked everywhere. He would walk miles and miles. Well, I, when I walk, we, Jan and I have learned to, to walk about, what, every other day? Just about. And uh, I'll start praying. If Reese Howe can pray for two hours, I can pray. So it only takes an hour, though, doesn't it? <laughs> so, <laughs> So just I just pray while I'm walking, and and uh, yesterday you know I started praying, and then I started uh, thinking about the trees, and <laughs> now that how you you get off off target sometimes, so I have to bring myself back <laughs> to intercession. Anybody else have a story about intercession? Yeah. 
Well, basically just a, a quick short one. Uh, we have our list that we go through every night. And Okay, can you hear me? I'm sorry, I'm always talking softly. <laughs> but anyway, we have our list that we, we pray in and uh, we go through. But there was um, recently uh, I came across uh, uh, some advice that an old preacher that came to uh, the United States from uh, Romania as uh, Dimitrik Duneman. Some of you may have known him or heard of him, but he was traveling around with uh, a chauffeur, basically. It was another young man that was from the United States because Dimitrik had his uh, grandson interpret for him because he was a Romanian. So when they would be going to churches, um, he was chauffeuring them around. And they had just finished moving to a new apartment uh, or a new house, and his wife was at home unpacking. So uh, Demetric was sitting in the passenger side, and they were going down the road getting to another church. And all of a sudden, Demetric looks over and tells him, he said, listen, you need to tell your wife that before she intercedes for anyone to pray for protection upon herself first. <clears throat> so after they got to the church, <clears throat> this is before we had cell phones and stuff, he, he was able to call his wife. And she, he relayed the message to her uh, because he had seen so many things that the Holy Spirit told this man that was powerful. He just said, I'm, I'm going to do that. You know, so I called my wife. And she just broke down crying because she said while she was unpacking all the boxes, she just started interceding for people that she knew. And she was getting more and more depressed as she went along. So, um, and of course, Demetric just driving it, riding in the car, heard the Spirit you know, get the information, get the instruction to her. So from that point on, anytime they intercede for an individual, uh, they always pray protection on themselves first. So nothing that the individual has comes on them. Because, you know, Satan, yeah. you know, the, the demons like to say, oh, wow, you look pretty clean. Let me try you out. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to be careful in that area. Okay. I, I uh, forgot to tell you about Reese how one thing that he did, when, he, when this Maurice Rubens, this Jew, converted Jew, started preaching, he told about his family was so against him, they put him in the sanitarium. He, uh, he was mad for, for them doing that to him. You know, he had given up money, he had given up everything, and, and they stick him in a sanitarium. They, they, he talked to, to uh, I guess, uh, doctors, and, and they, they said... Well, three weeks later, he's, he has an experience with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, told him to start praying for your, your mates. He had 29 people in that uh, area. So he started praying for them instead of being angry. He started praying for them. Well, then a judge took the case up, and he, and he asked the police, or I think it was the police, what, why do you have him in there? Because he hears voices. He said, he was a Christian judge. He says, well, I hear voices too. God talks to me all the time. <laughs> let him go. So he, they let him go. <laughs> it doesn't say that. It, they, they may have, but it doesn't say that in the book. I, I, don't, I don't know if it, it, it's, uh, it happened or not. But... Uh, they put somebody in a sanitarium that was not sick. 
So I don't know. I think everybody needs to, to intercede. And we've, we've had some good stories about intercession. But follow the voice if it's doing good. If it's Satan's voice, you're going to know it. Look at that person over there. <laughs> Satan has a negative impact. I've, I've talked to people who have, I talked to one lady, and she has a mother who's always negative. When she calls her on the phone, how you doing, Mom? Well, I don't know I've been sick, and I've got all this happening, and, and her life is, is just terrible. But negativity, I think, comes from Satan. So if you're talking to yourself, if your self-talk is negative, you're probably doing Satan a favor. To say, Lord, I resist that. I come against it in Jesus' name. And I ask you to fill my, my mind full of good thoughts. Chris, you want to talk? You just... Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right, let's all stand up. It's a good time to go. Is there anybody that else that wants a book? I'll bring it out to you if you want a book. Yeah, you can, $15. We got 10 more. Uh, it's 15. Well, just put, it in, just put okay. it in the box next week if you have to. Okay. We'll give you one then. Why don't you pray for us? Okay. <laughs> so I just thank you, Lord, for um, your inspiration that you're giving us through Reese Howells and um, just we all want to be uh, to our fullest destiny of what you have. We won't be exactly like Reese Howells, but we want to be who you've called us to be. And we just thank you for this great adventure that you've given us and the power that you've given us through this wonderful opportunity to be intercessors. And we just pray blessings on Pastor Terry and on Jan and everyone here and we just love you so much in Jesus name. Amen.